Well, that got your attention. <laughs> nice to see everyone here this evening uh, as a part of our Wednesday night summer series, Risk Takers, uh, Putting Your Faith on the Line. We're excited about our uh, time together tonight. Before I introduce our speaker uh, and have a prayer, I'd like to share a few prayer updates. Many of you <clears throat> may be not aware, a lot of you probably are, but uh, John Pike passed away during the night last night. We talked to Virginia this morning. He passed away around 1 a.m. And so please keep Virginia and uh, her family, all of their family, in your prayers. Funeral services will be this Saturday, visitation at 1 o'clock, and the services at 2 o'clock, and that will be at Tyler Memorial Funeral Home. That's the one that's out on Highway 64 West. So let's remember Virginia Pike and the passing of our brother, John Pike. Also, Kayla Abels, uh, uh, her grandmother, Dorothy Broxton, passed away a week ago, and the services will be, um, let's see, this says, okay, visitation is Thursday evening, 5 to 7 p.m. at Callaway Alley Funeral Home in Crockett, and then the service is Friday morning at the Lovelady First Baptist Church. So let's remember Kayla and all of her family and the passing of her uh, grandmother. Evan Kingsbury was accidentally shot in the shoulder with while he was with a friend Sunday evening. Uh, he is at uh, UT Health Center uh, here in town, and I saw him this afternoon or today, and he is a uh, uh, he looks good. He's doing good. He will probably be out of ICU and in a room if he's not already, and they're talking like he may even go home tomorrow. So uh, proud of, of Evan, and he is in great shape, and we look for a full uh, recovery uh, for him. And so continue to be prayerful for Evan and his family and also for his friend. Uh, Brianna Dean is the daughter of uh, Brian and Mave. Uh, new members here, uh, their son Nika and also Tori, Brianna's older sister. They're all members here now. Uh, Brianna is hospitalized in Dallas, so keep her in your prayers. Carolyn Blackstone has a serious case of shingles. Dale says she is still uh, hurting quite a bit, so let's keep her in our prayers. Also, Bill Taylor, who is the father of Emily and Jessica and Sarah <laughs> here. Um, and uh, we want to remember all of their family. Bill had an accident at his farm on Monday and broke his pelvis, so he is at home, but in uh, a lot of pain. Let's remember all of the Taylors, especially Bill. And uh, Carolyn Womack, our Carolyn Womack will have her surgery tomorrow. She has this surgery uh, regularly, every so often, uh, and so we want to continue to remember her and that procedure that she will have uh, tomorrow. There are others on our prayer list. I uh, want to remind you as we keep uh, getting closer and closer to it, our Reconnect Marriage Workshop with Owen and Lauren Mitchell will be September 24th and 25th, and we'll have more about that a little bit later. It's wonderful to see Jane Jones here tonight. Uh, she and Wanda are holding down that back pew, so I'm glad that they are uh, both here tonight, especially our dear friend and sister Jane. It's wonderful to see you. Uh, we have others that are here visiting. We have others that are here uh, because of who our speaker is, and rightly uh, so. Uh, Eric Thornton is a former youth minister intern here, former youth minister here, 
um, and former preacher in Athens. He got demoted from youth ministry to preaching uh, several years ago, and now uh, he is here tonight to be our guest speaker in this series. I can honestly tell you that when Joyce and I moved here, uh, we're uh, moving here in 2015, uh, our first impression of the church as we were considering it uh, was a dinner we had with the, uh, with the ministers and their families, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I can honestly tell you, this is no slight on the other ministers, but I can honestly tell you, and this is 100% true, that Joyce and I were uh, more impressed with Eric Thornton than anybody that we met uh, that night. And there is absolutely nothing that uh, has gone on since I have known my friend and brother uh, that has uh, changed that opinion. And so I am so honored and proud to be able to introduce him tonight and to have a prayer uh, for him and for these that we have mentioned. But I'm looking forward to hearing uh, his message uh, this evening in this series of ours, Risk Takers, Putting Your Faith on the Line. Uh, this, this evening will be one of the highlights of our summer. Uh, let's pause for just a moment in prayer. Father, we praise you as our creator, as our sustainer. We praise you, Father, because uh, you are not just our maker and master, but you are the one who gave everything to save us because the relationship that we could have with you was that important. Father, we've mentioned a lot of people this evening, those that are hurting, those that are uh, sorrowful and mourning, those that are contemplating surgeries, those that are recovering. And Father, we just ask your blessings. We pray that you would be with them and those that they love. We ask, Father, a special blessing tonight upon our sister Virginia in the loss of John. And we pray, Father, that uh, your loving spirit would be with her and with Kayla and with all of those who mourn uh, the loss of loved ones who have been such an important part of their lives. And Father, we again pray that you would be with those who are in special need of you tonight. And we pray, Father, that you'd be with Logan, and we're so excited for uh, his song leading tonight. And we pray, Father, that you'd be with Eric as he uh, shares with us and encourages us and challenges us uh, to be willing and courageous and to share your love and word with those around us that you send our way that need to know about your love and your word so desperately. Father, we're thankful for all of our blessings. We pray that you would be with us this evening and all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Your holy word, I have a living. 
Thank you for those of you who ventured out this evening who might not have normally been here in support of a broken vessel. Uh, It's been over a year since I have stood behind a podium of any kind, and yet it still feels like home, still feels very much like where God wants me to be. Bill 
talked about this, uh, this summer series called Risk Takers. And I asked him, so we're talking about people that were risk takers? Uh, t- you know, are we coming out of a specific part of Scripture? And he said, huh, whatever pops into your head. So I said, okay, I like dropping grenades in someone else's pulpit and leaving. So <laughs> that's the best part about being guest speakers. You don't deal with the afterthoughts. But you will see me on Sunday, so I'm not going to drop a, a grenade. Um, I'm a part of this church, uh, and, and in, in many ways have been a part of this church for over 20 years. Um, you can ask Jay Bonham and, and Ken Culpepper and their wives who, who drove to my wedding after me just being an intern here years ago. I've been deeply connected to this church for a long time. And so as I thought about risk-taking... I can tell you that the thing I've most been convicted about in my life over the course of the last 10 years in relation to my relationship with God is something that I believe and have experienced and have been guilty of, as guilty of anybody, as anybody of, is dropping the ball. You can't see it, but I made a really cool shadow underneath that ball. If you, I mean, you can see it on the TV up here. It looks really good. <laughs> It's wasted up there, so I just want y'all to know. But I think it's something that we get, we become we become comfortable in life. Period, because we have schedules, and we have, many of us have children at home. And for those of us that don't, we have other things that we're doing that we invest our time into, and, and our hopes and our dreams, and we just go and go and go and go and go. And so we become used to our routine. It seems like in the world that we live in today, not that world that we so we often refer to it as the world. It's our world. We're a part of it. It's God's creation. It is the world that we are in. It seems like in that world we find ourselves with an ever-lowering moral compass. Wrong seems more right than ever. And from a biblical perspective, what we would determine to be right is viewed as wrong. Something must be wrong with you if in this day and age you are still following an ancient set of guidelines for your life. In a world that is consistently and constantly changing, right now I think most of us in this room tonight are pretty upset with the direction it's going. 2,000 years ago, a conversation took place, and it went like this, between a man and a woman. Go and call your husband and tell him to come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And his response was, you're right. You don't. But you've had five. And the man you're living with now isn't your husband at all, so... You have been truthful. And her response 2,000 years ago to that statement was, Sir, I believe you to be a prophet. I perceive you to be a prophet. In 2022, I think the response to that statement would be, Sir, I perceive you to be off your prescribed medication today. You're crazy. What, how, why, number one, how dare you speak to me that way? And number two, I'm really upset, angry, and terrified that you're right. And so it brings me to this question. When, when Jesus meets this woman at the well, which is where we're going to be tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 4. When Jesus meets this woman in the well, or at the well, they're both looking for something. And, and in her mind, they're looking for the same thing. But those of us who know the story know that's not true. We'll talk about it from the perspective of not tonight and the assumption that we don't all know the story. Because there is more than meets the eye. What are people today really looking for in life? 
I think as Christians, as believers, the, the biblical perspective of how we respond to that question is one of two things. How we respond to our world, not the world, but our world, the world that we live in, the world that we are called to be a part of. We have one of two responses. One, as people who know truth, is to run and hide from the depravity of the world around us. To hole up, to wall ourselves off, to barricade ourselves in. To only surround ourselves with people who are like us, who agree with us, and who are the same as us. That's one option. The second option is this. To learn from the example of Jesus Christ and to engage with the world around us and share this good news of hope. So the simple question to begin our time here together tonight is which one of those two will you choose? If you consider yourself to be a believer in Jesus Christ, those are your two options when it comes to the world. Engage with it, try to change it, try to redirect it and reorient it and point people towards the message of hope that comes through the Son of God or hide and just wait to die. Those are our options. So as we begin in the, in, in the fourth chapter of John, I want to remind us of a verse that is directed towards all those who consider themselves to be disciples. Not just the apostles, but disciples. Followers of Jesus Christ. In the end of Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says, Go therefore into all nations and make disciples. So if a much better, much, 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 much better man were standing here tonight, he would say, Go into your nations. To Tyler, to Lindale, to White House, to Bullard, to Chandler, to Chapel Hill, to wherever you find yourself, to your nation, to your neighborhood, to your next door neighbor, and point people to me. Point people to the cross. Sometimes, as Christians, we have to be willing to take a chance and to do something that is completely unexpected. Pick up with me in John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 5. So he, being Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, as as John begins to lay out this, this encounter between Jesus and this woman, he lays out what could very well easily be self made obstacles, blockades that might have kept even the Son of God in this moment from sharing this news, this message that he had. One being what we read in verse 6. Jesus was wearied from his journey. Verse 4, it actually said he had to go through Samaria. It doesn't tell us why, but the insinuation follows is that it was, a lot of it was about this encounter, this moment in time. And so he was tired from his journey. He was tired, he was worn out, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was left alone. His followers had gone into town and he was sitting there parched. I mean, kid you not. I don't know the feeling, but I've got some here. And so he was, he was thirsty. Now, he could have taken that weariness as an excuse. This Sunday night, for instance, here at West Serving, we have life groups. 
It would be really easy for us to invite someone to our life group with us. It doesn't require a whole lot out of us. It's really low-key. I mean, it's hard. It's not confrontational. But being that it is Sunday night, another response would be, man, I've got a really tough week ahead of me. I need to get to bed early. I'm weary from what I've been going through. We might be able to say, you know, some night this week, I could invite someone, a neighbor into my home for a meal. I'm going to be eating anyway. I don't have to be the one that makes it, but I could invite that neighbor into my home and show them some hospitality. But it has been a really long day at work. I, came, I mean, I'm sure some of you did what I did. You came here tonight straight from your job. I'm weary. I'm tired. Surely God will excuse our weariness as an excuse for not sharing a message of hope when we have an opportunity. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So when this Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And after what we just talked about, it makes sense. He's, he's thirsty. He's tired. He's sitting at a well. He has nothing to draw water with. So surely she wouldn't mind giving him a drink, except for another huge man-made, self-made blockade. She was a Samaritan, and he was a Jew. There was a huge wall, not just between Samaritans and Jews, but between men and women in public settings. Tradition said, Jewish tradition said a man could not talk to a woman without her husband being present. Tradition said at best, at best, Samaritans and Jews could only tolerate each other. And tradition said that there was a code how one should conduct themselves and that code should not be broken. But Jesus came and he shattered tradition over and over and over not, at the, not, for the, not at, the, at the cost of truth, but at the cost of reaching those who were lost. I remember in, in the town, the little town in West Texas I grew up in, and some of you know where that is, the first Sunday that the screens went up. Yeah, y'all laugh now, but some of y'all were pitching the same fit 25 years ago. <laughs> Kid you not, some people left churches over the same words and the same notes on the same screen. Heaven forbid we can't sing like this anymore. And we have to actually look up and extend our diaphragm and be in the position you is good and better to sing in. We lost our minds over something so simple. Tradition. It's all it is. It's tradition. How, how different would it be? Here's a little grenade, Bill. How different would it be if on a Sunday morning Bill stood up here dressed like this? Is there, is there something inherently wrong with the way I'm dressed? No. And in fact, if you came to the We Connect class on a Sunday morning, with the exception maybe of Cody Abel's, this is fancy for, for the, the young adults, young, young parents' room. But it's tradition that says, no, this is, this is how one is supposed to act and one is supposed to be perceived. Perceived is tradition that states this is how we do things. If we don't have two songs in a prayer, so help me. Why? Well, it's the way the it's in First Ephesus. It's somewhere in there. I know it's there. And we in tradition, it, it tears us apart inside because deep down, we know tradition never trumps truth. But we turn tradition into truth. And we bind things onto one another that God never intended us to bind onto each other. And it keeps, it builds blockades. Just like this interaction with this woman at the well. Tradition says you don't speak to her. You don't look her in the eye. She is subhuman to you. And Jesus broke tradition. What if we did the unexpected? 
What if we socialized with the socially unacceptable? What if we made friends with people we might not normally be around? What if we actually built relationships with people before we shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them in the attempt to let them see, I care about you as a human being now, and I care about where you're going to spend eternity. What would it do for the testimony of the church if we actually became interested enough in our community to interact with them before saying, this is truth. To let them know I love you right where you are right now and so does, so does Jesus Christ. So what Jesus did, and this is so unique, and this is one of, the ways, one of the things that I think we miss it, is he created a thirst in this woman before he ever gave her a drink. Think of, let, let that statement soak in for just a minute. He created a thirst in this woman before he ever gave her a drink. Let's go back to John chapter 4. Pick up in verse 10. She just asked this question, how can you ask me for a drink because of who you are and because of who I am? Jesus answered her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water in this well is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Because to to summarize, I don't want to keep coming here. (laughs) Give me this thing that will quench my thirst. Verse 15, I don't want to be thirsty anymore. There's a lot in that sentence. She doesn't understand who Christ is yet or what it is that he's really offering. But at this point, something that Jesus didn't do in the coming sentences that we've already discussed, this this statement that he made to her is he did not slam her about her sin. Because here's what he could have done. He said... You know, you sinned against the law of God when you divorced all these men. You're sinning, still sinning by living with the man that, who I might add, you're not married to. So would it have been true for Jesus to look this woman in the eye and say, you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Absolutely. He would have been well within his biblical truth to say that. Did he probably know, or did she probably know, that her life wasn't what she wanted it to be? That it hadn't gone the way she had planned? I guarantee you there is no way as a little girl this woman thought, this is what I want my life to be like. So, sure, she knew that her life hadn't gone the way she'd wanted it to go. And would would it have done any good in this moment to again point his finger at her and tell her how terrible of a person she was, how many mistakes she had made in this life, how disappointed he was, and how probably everyone else in your life is disappointed in you too. Would Would that have been a good decision to make? No. Not at all. And do we really believe that deep down when people are, are, are finishing off a bottle that they have drank from top to bottom, when they are filling their bodies with illicit drugs, when they are filling their life with all sorts of things that we all know only give us temporary reprieve from what life, the struggles in life are really about. Do we really believe that they think they're going to find what they're looking for at the bottom of that? No. 
But I do believe this. I believe that everyone, until they find it, is searching for something more than they have seen so far. So we will go look in a lot of places. The wisest man that ever lived looked in every dirty hole on the planet of this, on, on the face of this planet. Solomon searched for fulfillment in everything he could. And in the end, it can all be summarized in these words. Fear God and keep his commands. I looked everywhere. In women, in wine, in work, in toil, in self-satisfaction. And I found nothing. So maybe, maybe a good place to start for us as believers is to ask ourselves this question. How has knowing Jesus Christ... And I started with the word affected. I don't, I'm not, no. I'm going to say, how has knowing Jesus Christ infected your life? How has he permeated you? How is your life different today than before the day you knew Jesus Christ? What has changed? What's better? What's worth sharing with people? Because if you can't think of anything that's better today, not just better at the end, because we all get that part. But what's better today? How has Jesus filled your life with hope and joy today? And not just at the end. So maybe a good place for us to begin is to know the answer to that question for ourselves. Because let's face it, most people aren't sprinting to the grave. They don't want to. We want to engage what this beautiful earth has to offer for as long as possible. So if I am asking someone to give the rest of their life to Jesus Christ... I'd better have a reason why it's good today and good tomorrow and not just good when I'm six feet under the earth. Sometimes we need to create a thirst before we offer water. And so the question becomes, okay, so how do I do that? Only Jesus can offer this water. So how do I help create this thirst? And if we look at, again at this story at the end of it in verse 29, we see a snippet where she accidentally answers this question for us. The Samaritan woman runs into town and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now they could have answered, well, of course he knows everything you ever did. Everyone knows everything you ever did. We all know what you've done. He probably heard it on the way into town. Avoid this woman at all costs. But the text seems to indicate, based on the way that this sentence is structured... That not only did some go and meet Jesus, come and see, but with the, the fervor that would have been in this woman's voice, because we're going to look in just a moment at what happened in this moment, what she did and what she didn't do and what she forgot and what she left behind and in this place where in this just short, short moment, everything changed for her. If you believe that God is real... If God has been active and moving and present in your life, then you have a story to tell. Sometimes we think that the story has to be big and powerful and huge, that I had to have gone to prison or been addicted to drugs or gone through some horrible life experience that then I went from A and B are so drastic that I'm a night and day person. But the reality of it is, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our spheres of influence... Our lives look a whole lot like the other lives of people around us. We build relationships with people. We have jobs. We we move forward with the life that we have. And so how does Jesus move in that? How how has Jesus changed your life and made it better? 
Because Jesus could have chastised her. He could have beat her down mentally and emotionally and verbally. He could have made her feel terrible. But instead, this is what he did. He said, I know all about you. And I'm still offering you living water. I want you to know I care more about who my father created you to be than what you've done. Your value is worth so much more. Jesus aroused her interest by breaking with tradition. And then she, in turn, created a thirst in others by asking a question. Could this be the Messiah? And sometimes, for us, it's less about having all the answers and listening more and asking more questions. About engaging the world around us. About getting to know the lives and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of people around us. And that's the second point tonight, is that we have to develop an awareness of the opportunities that we have to share, to share the message of Christ. One response to that would be, well, uh, I'm willing to, to talk about what Jesus has done in my life if other people ask. But, I mean, if we're all being really honest, that doesn't happen a lot. Where, where a non-believer asks you, what has Jesus done in your life lately? So we have to acknowledge that and, and watch for opportunities to have those conversations. This is, a new, this is a unique story in the Gospel of John because John, John devotes 45 verses to the story of, of the woman at the well. And it isn't even until verse 15 that she says, she asks a question. She makes a statement of, give me this water so that I won't have to be thirsty and come here anymore. She's looking not for eternal fulfillment, but for momentary I'm, I'm just thirsty. I don't want to come here anymore. And so often we're, we're, we're critical of people that are only focused on physical needs and not on spiritual needs. And when you th- if you've ever spent any time in a church office, I'm sure Sharon or Francis could tell you how many calls they field every day of people calling, I need help with my electric bill, I need help with food, I need help with water, I need help with rent. And it's a rare occasion that someone calls and says, I don't need anything physical from you. I just need someone to pray with me. We, we expect that a little bit, though. We're like, you always, you always want the stuff. But that's a little bit harsh from, coming from us because we have, we have physical needs, too. We, we, have, we have struggles in our life. We have, it's easy for us to point the finger because God's giving us what we need right now. Homes and, and food and, and gas. Maybe a little less food, but gas to get where we need to be. We all have our own life, our own problems. Can I, how, am I, how, I'm gonna, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I, going to, am I going to be healthy enough to get past this thing that I'm going through? Now take the answers to those questions that God gives you in the span of time from point A to point B. That becomes part of your story. How did God sustain you when you didn't think you had enough finances to carry, your, carry you through? How did God use the church to surround you and help you in a way that... You could have never done yourself. And we don't take that as supernatural, but if we believe in the power of prayer, then it is. Because God is intervening in that moment. And he's turning the hearts of others toward him because of that relationship that God has created for us with each other. And it becomes a story that's worth sharing. The church has become a powerful part of my story. Because the church hasn't abandoned me. The church hasn't turned its back on me. And when I say the church, I mean, I mean you. I mean people who who see the ugly parts of life. That's part of my story now. And sometimes it's not a part that we ever thought would be written, but it changes our ability to share 
with a whole new group of people that we might have never been able to share with before. So what have you experienced as a believer in Jesus Christ that allows you to identify with others to offer a bit of living water? Not that you can provide, but that you can point them to. Could I cross an anticipated boundary and maybe just for a moment become and have a very real relationship with someone? Because we develop an awareness of those around us. We, we, we are aware of what Christ has done. But specifically, this is kind of how I want to close our thoughts tonight. Are we aware, are you aware, and am I aware of, of what Christ has done for you? Not just, not just for Christians, but what Christ has done in you. How is your life different? Jesus crossed an invisible boundary by talking with this woman, by engaging with this woman. Without wondering, what if my disciples, what if my followers come up and see me talking to this woman and crossing this cultural line? It's very taboo and should never happen. I don't think he was really worried about that. But we are. What if, what if my friends saw me in this place at this time with these people? Even, even the view of, of this woman, her, her view of God was incorrect. And sometimes we, take, we look at other people's view of God. We say, well, they, they don't know the one true God. Their, their perspective of God is, is off. It's, it's different. Aren't those the people that need to hear the truth the most? If their perspective of God is different, we are the vessel. We are not the truth, but we are oftentimes the vessel that God uses to put them at the foot of the cross and give them access to water that doesn't run dry. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you ask for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And this is the last question. What is that gift of God? For us as Christians now in 2022, we would answer that as, well, it's Jesus you know, dying on the cross. It's hope of heaven. It's hope of completion and perfection. And that would be true if in the Greek this was written in the future tense. But this particular statement is written in something called the pluperfect, which means it refers to an event that was completed once and for all in a past time. And there is some argument of what gift it is that generally that, that, that Christ was speaking of. Is, is, it, is he the author of life? And as he says in John chapter 10, is it that he has come to, to uh, that they may have life and have it to the fullest? Look with me quickly at John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. Philip, one of the uh, apostles, said, Lord, show us the Father. And that, that would be enough for us. I'm not used to having a string dangling around. I, don't, I like that fancy head mic. So, you know, show us the Father, that he would be enough for us. And in verse 9, Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you so long. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father how can you say, show us the Father? What have we gained through knowing Christ? We've gained eternal life, yes. But the reality of eternal life is it is unfulfilled for us. It is yet to come. So looking back, stepping back from what we call future glory, that we all have been given as followers of Jesus Christ, as, as those who have given our lives over to him. But stepping back from that, what is it that we have to share with somebody that offers hope today? Because you know what? Today's pretty tough for some people. And tomorrow might be worse. When Bill shared that Evan Kingsbury had, I mean, I was, Evan, Evan's mine. 
you know, his parents could tell you, I've, boy, I've sat in a, I've sat in an emergency room with Evan Kingsbury <laughs> on a mission trip in Nebraska when he decided to jump on a garage door and sliced his hand to the bone. And Evan just looked at it, being he is tough as nails. If you don't know Evan, I don't think he has pain. To, you know, just he doesn't know what happened. He's like, "What should I do?" <laughs> like, oh, we're going to go to the hospital now. <laughs> but when 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 I hear that, when I think about how, what what do I have to offer people now? What what has Christ done in my life? I, I I think about people like Evan, and I see the evidence. I knew where I knew where Evan was ten years ago. And I see the young man that Evan has become now. And, you know, being like, like I said, I can see, he's, part of him is mine. Just like any youth minister can understand. You, you're just connected to those kids for the rest of your life. And I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of, of the changes and the, that I've seen him make in his life and the person that he's matured into. And I could share stories like that about hundreds of kids over the last 20 years. But when we ask ourselves, what has God done in our life? When we, when we develop an awareness of the opportunities around us, we also need to develop an awareness of knowing what Christ has accomplished in our lives. And we have to care. We have to care about the lives of those around us. John chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. This is how we're concluding this story. The woman had been at the well. Jesus told her all these crazy things, and she's, she's kind of out of her mind. You ever thought about why she was there in the middle of the day? It's probably not because she missed morning call to water. And it's probably not because she was there early for the evening grab. Probably it was because she didn't want to face the shame and scorn of being seen in public. For the way she'd lived, for what she'd done. So she withdrew, as many of us would do. So in this moment of hearing this amazing message from the Son of God... In verse 28, this is what the woman does. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back into town and said to the people, the same people who without, almost without hesitation, we can say probably scorned her, pushed her away, and put her down, reached out to these same people and said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then moving on in verse 30, if you're following along, it says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. It seems most likely that this woman wanted to avoid contact with other people. But in her excitement to go be with other people, she left her jar of water behind. I've just met Jesus. I mean, she's asking this question because she just needs someone to say yes to what she's already thinking in her head. Why don't you come and meet him too? Jesus says to his disciples, look, The fields are ripe for the harvest. How anxious are we to tell other people about the Son of God? Would we leave leave our our water jars behind? We're so excited. Now, maybe we haven't had that transformational moment. So it's all the more important that with the lives we have been given, we acknowledge the ways that God has moved and carried and held and placed other people at intersections of our life, so that we have a story to tell too, because you have one, I promise you, you do. And your testimony has just as much power to point someone to the cross as the truth that's in these pages, because it's your story, it's your relationship, it's your proof that you care about someone 
that will point them here. Whether it happens in your work, in your driveway, in a penitentiary. I don't say any of these things lightly. One is not more difficult than the other in sharing and opening up yourself and being vulnerable and saying, come and meet the Messiah. Come and meet the man who could save you. And in spite of your brokenness, in spite of my brokenness, he knows every bad thing I've ever done. He still cares. He still loves me. And he still offers me hope. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, we are... <clears throat> if, we, if we believe the words of Scripture to be true, I will just speak for myself that I am, I am humbled that you care about me. Because I'm, I'm a mess. On most days, I, I struggle to be who I know you call me to be, to, to speak in the ways that I know you call me to speak. And so, God, I am so grateful that you love me in spite of all of that. God, please remind us of that, to give us strength and, and courage to carry us and to help us when, we, when we're scared. And to know that, that, that your words... Your words will be enough and and we will survive and that we need to share the hope that we have. We need to share the way that you have been moving and active and and living in our lives. And yes, that the hope of eternity is, it it just fills us with joy. But God, we, we are living in a broken world where people need hope for tomorrow as well. And God, we know you give that too. So help us share that. Help us share our faith and our story with those around us so that maybe one day we'll drop our water jug. We'll drop that thing that in that moment is most important. Say, let me tell you about the man who's changed my life. It's in that man's name, your son, Jesus the Messiah, the Savior. It's in his name we pray tonight. Amen. You're dismissed. Peace be with you.